You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. Oh, New City family, goodness, it is good to be back in the pulpit, good to be here with you. Matthew chapter 16 this morning, we are starting a new series called Questions from Jesus. Man, so excited while you're uh, turning there. The month of July... um, as a rhythm for our church, we have other guys get up and deliver sermons. And so I'm so grateful for each of you guys. I know some of you are in the room here um, who preach. You served our church well and faithfully and with joy. And I'm so grateful for you. It was, uh, it was good for me to be out of the pulpit four weeks in a row. Because like the first week, it was like, okay, rest. Second week, I was like, I feel good. And then the third week, I felt a little bit like Ricky Bobby. I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands anymore. Um, and, so, and so by the fourth week, I was pretty antsy. And this week I was like, okay, the sermon's about 90 minutes if I'm tracking it right. So I'm going to scale that down. It's not going to be 90 minutes. Everybody go ahead and breathe a sigh of relief uh, right there. Okay. All right. All right. We're doing this. Okay. Um, But I am glad to be here with you. Friends, we are Bible people at this church because God has spoken in his word. Amen. So let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, they say this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Y'all can have a seat. Well, a few years back when I was learning to lead a small group, um, a mentor in my life said something to me that's always stuck with me. He said, whoever is asking the questions is actually the leader. You've experienced that, right? When, when somebody's asking the questions, they're shaping the conversation. You see this with your professors, you see this at work, you see this in all kinds of varying settings. I am obsessed with questions. Our poor staff, every week they come in and they're like, Nick is gonna ask us some strange, deeply personal question. And I'm like, yeah, I just got a document called weird questions. I just stick them away in there. A good question exposes us. You felt that, right? When somebody asks you just the right question in the right moment, and it's like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about that. That's important. A a good question not only exposes us, a good question heals us. 
when we're cut open, when we're broke open, a good question brings us to an important and right conclusion when we look to Jesus in them. Here's, here's what this whole series, these next six weeks are about. Most of the time when we think of spiritual growth, when we think of spiritual maturity, we think, man, I need to get more of my questions answered. I need to figure out more of these things. And there's truth to that. Don't hear me saying, don't ask questions. You should ask questions. But for the next six weeks, here's what I want to propose. What if growth doesn't look like getting all your questions answered? What if it looks like letting Jesus ask the questions? If the one asking the questions is in the driver's seat, when you stop and look at Jesus and you say, why don't you question me and break me open? What if I don't have to figure all my own questions out? What if instead I need to let you speak to me through your questions? And so we're going to work through six of really the most profound questions that Jesus met individuals with in scripture. And today, as you heard, as we read the text, we come to this one. Who do you say that I am? Jesus, who knows everything, asks this question. Who do you say that I am? Well, who do you say that Jesus is? Your answer to this question is more important than you realize. Many of us have been operating with a counterfeit Jesus at the center of our lives. And here's the thing about counterfeit Jesus. He is powerless to save you because he is not real. We need the real ruling and reigning Jesus. When I was in college, it wasn't ever something that I did, but online dating was kind of coming onto the scene, getting popular, getting popular. and uh, this term came into existed, existence called getting catfished. You know what that is to get catfished, right? It's like the dating profile comes up and it says, Shirley, age 29, likes long walks on the beach. And you go, okay, I'm interested, all right. And then you meet up and it's actually a 40-year-old man, okay? It's not who you were anticipating. That's what it means to get catfished. And friends, you do not get, need to get catfished by fake Jesus. You need the real Savior, the real ruling and reigning Christ. And the good news for us this morning is that we don't have to guess who he is. Jesus tells us, this is who I really am. And he uses that simple question right there to draw out the hearts, draw out what's happening on the inside of his disciples to the outside. As he's sitting with his disciples, there is a frenzy of opinions about Jesus, most of which, honestly, were pretty unfavorable. But in the middle of all that, who did they really believe that he was? Jesus is asking us the same question this morning, okay? He's asking us. And if you get this core question right, as we're going to see evidence in this text, you can see clearly in a culture of confusion. You can have conviction in a world of compromise. You get to, in fact, the text will even suggest to us or later, experience real intimacy with God. Don't you want to know God? Isn't that part of the reason you're here? You are invited, the text is audacious enough to say, to fight for the winning team against the forces of darkness in this world. Is there even a greater purpose than that? 
Matthew 16 is gonna unpack the truth of who Jesus is for us this morning, all right? Here's where we're going. We got three points. We're gonna work them through. Point number one, Jesus is not who you expected. Number two, Jesus is more than you could imagine. And number three, Jesus will do greater things than you can hope, all right? Let's do it. Y'all ready? Okay, let's go. Point number one, Jesus is not who you expected. Expectations are a, uh, are a really important underlying theme of every person's life. What I realize as a pastor so often for others and in my own life is that unmet expectations are by and large the reason so many of us are unhappy. I had some unmet expectations the other day. We were um, on a drive and we stopped at Dairy Queen. That's like my secret vice, right? It's like I eat good all day and then I want a medium blizzard and just blow the thing up at the end of the day. And y'all pray for me, okay? So we go to Dairy Queen and uh, it was a new guy working the cash register and I I order this really custom, hard to remember blizzard. So it's got all these add-ins and ridiculous things. And we get up to the window at the cash register and I'm like, hey boss, could you put a lid on that. Like, I think I'm going to wait a minute to eat it. And so he's holding my blizzard and it's mounded over the top because there's so much extra stuff in it. And he looks around and he takes a spoon and he scrapes the top two inches off of my blizzard. And I, I'm, I'm not a violent man, but I'm going to be honest with, like I was ready to crawl through the drive-thru window. Why? Because I'm like, you're, Like there were five extra bites right there, man. I had this expectation of what was coming to me, what belonged to me, and I didn't get it. And man, I'm driving for the next, my poor wife, for the next 20 minutes, I'm like, I mean, you just threw it in the trash. (laughs) Like, I mean, nobody's even, nothing's happening with that ice cream. Like, what do we do, okay? So I just couldn't let it go. You have unmet expectations all the time. Maybe you expect that like, hey, in a friendship, we FaceTime, that's what we do. Don't expect that, if that's what you expect, that friends should FaceTime. But maybe your friend only calls you and you expect that they should FaceTime you. Even though they haven't technically done anything wrong, they violated your expectations, right? It creates this dissonance in us. Can I ask you this morning, what are your expectations of Jesus? And maybe even more importantly, what happens in your soul when he violates your expectations of him? I thought this was gonna be easier, Jesus. When you called me to this, I thought, I thought when I obeyed you, everything was gonna go right and everything, I wanna tell you, is not going right. What rises up in you when Jesus violates your expectations? Friends, what if Jesus is not actually the problem? What if your expectation of who he is is the problem? We come in with wrong expectations this morning. Look back at the Bible, verse 13. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. Okay, we need to stop there for just a second. Jesus is headed into a religious and political hotbed with his disciples. Like, listen to the name of that place, Caesarea Philippi. It's named after Caesar, the leader of Rome, and Philip the Tetrarch, who's like kind of your local regional leader. So he's named after these political figures. And here's what you need to know about ancient politics in Rome. 
Things were dramatic, y'all. I heard somebody say like, you didn't leave office in ancient Rome by getting voted out. You left office in ancient Rome by getting stabbed 37 times, okay? That was the kind of world we were living in. Think of like if the, if the Kardashians were given unlimited power to kill people, to start wars, to do whatever they wanted, you might wanna watch that on TV, but you would not wanna live in it. It's a volatile, environment, constant power struggles, people fighting for glory, a world full of fear and uncertainty, violence, unrest, a politically charged powder keg. And on top of all of that political unrest, Jesus is standing in Caesarea Philippi. This location is filled with tremendous religious significance in Greek mythology. I want to show you a picture this morning. This is a real cave in Caesarea Philippi. So those, there's some tourists right there checking out, um, checking out what's going on. And, um, and so this city, Caesarea Philippi, is nestled right up against the base of Mount Hermon, um, where a series of these kind of caves were located. And, uh, and these caves were referred to as the gates of hell. That's going to be significant here in a, in a few minutes. But in Greek mythology, people thought of these caves as a gate to the underworld, where this, uh, this god that they worship named Pan, he could travel back and forth between the underworld and the real world. And so because people were terrified, um, they, would do, uh, they would do cult sacrifices and rituals here at these caves. And so you can find images or constructions of kind of what it would have looked like right there. There's even reports of like child sacrifice happening right here at these caves. It's a very dark place. At these gates, I want you to picture worshipers filled with fear, trying to manipulate this God that they, they, they think is real into doing what they want him to do. Jesus coming to this place, political, religious place, and asking this question, who do you say that I am, is extremely significant. Okay, I don't want you to miss it this morning. In other words, Jesus, when he asks that question, who do you say that I am, he is essentially asking, who do you say that I am when all hell is breaking loose? Who do you say that I am in a world filled with complete uncertainty? Friends, who Jesus is there is who he actually is. In those spaces, that's who he actually is. All of us have an expectation. We come into moments where things feel like they're falling apart. <laughs> And we have an expectation of who Jesus is. The, the people we're reading about right here, they were no exception. I want you to look back at the Bible in verse 13. It says, okay, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. This one, this one always confused me. So it's like, man, these guys were contemporaries, right? They lived at the same time. So John had just been executed right before this. And Herod, who ordered his execution, 
was apparently very afraid at this time that John was going to come back to haunt him. Like, go read the story. I forget what the text is. But uh, Herod Antipas did John pretty dirty, okay? And so he's like, he's on the lookout. He's like, man, is this guy going to come back from the dead in another form and get after me? So there's fear about Jesus and who he is. Others say Elijah, the text says. Elijah was a deliverer for Israel. And so people thought that, man, uh, this is a new Elijah. This is a, a, a second coming of Elijah even. And he's going to lead us out from under the hand of the Roman government. Or maybe it's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's what other people are thinking there. Jewish tradition at the time said that some of these prophets would return and wrap up unfinished business. That they would come back and they're like, maybe this is, this is the guy. Maybe he's kind of fitting our box of religious tradition. You may not know who any of the people that I just listed are. Herod or John the Baptist or Jeremiah, Elijah. That's okay, but we need to hear something. Our expectations of Jesus on our own are no different than the expectations these folks had. They're no different. Like just like Herod, you and I are often tempted to think of Jesus as somebody who's coming to hunt us down for our sins. He's coming to find us out. And here's the thing, there is a partial truth there. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. That is absolutely true. Scripture teaches it. But until the day of judgment, Jesus' posture towards sinners is like that of a lifeguard running out to rescue a drowning person. That is his posture until he comes again to judge. Some of us, see, when we think about Jesus, we immediately feel like we're about to be found out. Like Jesus is going to undo these straps that I've been using to hold my whole life together, and I don't think I can even bear it. Here's the thing. I want you to look at Jesus for a minute this morning. There is nothing about you that Jesus does not know intimately, completely, totally. That's including the worst parts of you. And guess what? Right there is where he loves you the most tenderly and specifically this morning. You are loved by Jesus. Maybe you're not like Herod and afraid. Maybe you're like one of the people who sees Jesus through the lenses of religious tradition. I'm not talking about through the lenses of Bible. Bible gives us the real Jesus. If you want him, you go here, okay? But I'm talking about through all the extra stuff that gets tacked on. Like maybe somebody tricked you into this room this morning, and if you're honest, you see Jesus as a boring waste of a Sunday morning. Maybe if you're honest, you see him as a sanitized, safe nice guy who never has a problem with anything and is therefore completely irrelevant to your life. Or maybe you see him as someone who's going to make all your problems go away. See, lots of people thought this about Jesus. In fact, that's why in verse 20, he goes on to tell them, hey, don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah, because as soon as they hear that, they're going to try to exalt me as a king. They want a political leader, but I am a dying savior. They misunderstand who I am. They don't understand what I'm about. 
Or maybe your background isn't religious tradition. Maybe, maybe your background is more of the religion of current culture. Maybe that's your world. So you think of Jesus as regressive? You think of him as, as bigoted, as a misogynist, or as a racist or something? All of us, whatever expectations that we come in with this morning, I need you to hear me. Jesus will shatter your expectations of him. Earlier this week, I saw a tweet from Ray Ortland that said, if your Jesus cannot correct you, may the real Jesus come in and smash your idols. Jesus is good, but hear me, he is not tame. You cannot control him. Like Jesus says some hard things, y'all. He says some hard things. When he says, just a, a short list here. When Jesus says that sex outside of heterosexual marriage is sinful, which he does when he affirms the teaching of the Old Testament, or when he says that lying condemns you to hell. If a lot of us are honest, we have a hard time believing he's good. Like we hear that and go, oh, it just grades against everything in us. Like, why you take this so serious? Can I tell you, in the moments when we think that, it is usually because we have a very high view of people and a very low view of God. Jesus wants to shatter your expectations this morning. Here's the thing about Jesus. He is two of the most important things in the universe at one time. He is in charge and he is supremely good at the same exact moment. Listen, if somebody's in charge and they're not good, we should be terrified. We should rightly be terrified. Think through history of all the people you can think of who are in charge, who have absolute authority, and who are not good. A trail of dead bodies behind them. Suffering, brokenness, evil, fear, all the things that follow him. But listen, if somebody has authority and they're good, you know what? You can breathe a sigh of relief. And the real Jesus right here has all authority under heaven and earth given to him. And he is good. This is going to tell you what he's doing with his authority. So in those moments... When Jesus violates your expectations of what he should do or what he should be or what he should say, you can breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, I don't fully get this yet. I don't fully understand this as good, but I really trust the guy in charge. It's part of what it means to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. You gotta let him violate your expectations. You gotta, he is more than what you think he is. Friends, if your God never disagrees with you, it might not be God that you are worshiping. It might be just an idealized version of yourself. Amen. And can I, I hope this frees you this morning. You are not a good God. You matter, but you are not the point. You cannot handle the weight of the universe on your shoulders. You were never meant for that. That is past your pay grade. But if you want to be free, you can bow your knee to the rightful king of the universe and say, goodness, 
You are not who I thought you were. Thank God. You're better. I don't understand you, but you're good. That's the kind of God I want to serve. His goodness, if you have him figured out, if he never violates your expectations, you're going to get bored really quick in an eternal relationship with him. But guess what? If he is mysterious and complex and wonderful and strange in the best way, you will never get bored knowing that God. Amen? Don't worship yourself, friend, your, or your own intellect. Worship Jesus. So I want to ask us a couple of questions right here. Number one, when life is difficult, who do you really believe that Jesus is? When there is pressure to bend to the culture around you, do you believe he's good in that moment? Friend, here's what I'm asking the Spirit to do in you right now. I don't want you to merely say that he's good. My desire is that, for, that you would be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt in your bones that he is good and he is worth following. You are going to need that belief locked in your soul if you're going to stand. Because it's going to get increasingly hard to be a Christian in the public sphere. If you don't feel that yet, I promise you it's coming. Okay? I'm not trying to scare you. You don't have to be scared. The text is going to tell us that. But you got to lock that belief in your heart. And number two, what wrong expectation of Jesus needs to be reset? Like, what are you coming in with that needs undone by the king of the universe? These are good questions for you to reflect on as you're thinking throughout your week. So point number one, Jesus is not who you expected. He's not who you expected. But here's point number two. I love this point. Jesus is more than you could imagine. He's more than you could imagine. Let's, uh, let's read the Bible, verses 15 through 17. They say this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Man, during my time off preaching, I learned something that I think is pretty significant in my own, in my own story. I'm talking about concepts or ideas or theology or whatever it is. That's pretty easy. Talking about me and what's really going on in my soul is very difficult. Goodness, I am just, I am not naturally known. Like I, my bent is not toward being known or sharing with others. Ideas are general, but you What's happening in your soul, how those ideas are hitting you is not general. It's very specific. It's very personal. You and I have unique fears, unique strengths, unique hopes, unique failures. And when Jesus asked this little question right here, who do you say that I am? He is moving from talking about popular ideas about who Jesus is to talking about what his disciples actually believe in their hearts about who he is. Jesus wants us to get specific this morning. He says, all right, guys, that's what everybody else thinks about me, okay? Who do you say that I am? And man, our boy Peter, 
God love him. He jumps right to the front of the pack. We just spent some time with Peter in First Peter this last spring. And goodness, our friend Peter, he spends a lot of the New Testament with his foot in his mouth. Like if, if he just gives me a ton of hope, okay, for myself. But right here, goodness, God speaks through him. God has done something in his soul that's supernatural. Right here, heaven is breaking through into earth. Because Peter steps to the front as sort of the spokesperson for the disciples. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Often in scripture, that's called the good confession. Right? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Each of these little phrases are loaded with meaning. And they tell us something critical about the person of Jesus that we could not have imagined or come up with on our own. He is the Christ. That's your Lord. He is the Christ. You know what that means? For these people, when they heard the word Christ, it means Messiah. So they were thinking, man, this is the deliverer of the nation of Israel. Those people who had been in, in slavery and bondage have been kicked around, politically oppressed, geographically relocated, a mess of a story. The Christ was the one, the true Christ was the one who was gonna come and make all things right. He is the promised king who was gonna rescue them from physical and spiritual bondage. He was the center of the story of the people of God. He was the missing puzzle piece that made everything else make sense. He was their savior. He is the Christ. He is, he is not just their redeemer and rescuer. Friend, he is your redeemer and rescuer. Number two, Peter says he is the son of the living God. Emphasis on living God. Remember, he is standing in a city dedicated to dead idols. And Peter is saying, you are not like that. You are alive. I want you to do this for a minute. Close your eyes. Nothing weird is going to happen, I promise. Close your eyes. Right now, in a body, Jesus is alive. He's real. And he's coming back. You can open your eyes right here. While Peter is, describes him as the son of the living God, he is not reading a script. He is confessing what his heart has come to believe as truth. That God is alive and that his his eternal son, as we're going to see unfolded in the rest of scripture, has come to make him known in the world. It's like what Ben read as our call to worship this morning. He is the image of the invisible God. He makes God known in this world. And man, look what Jesus says back to him. I have to imagine, I am so looking forward to sitting around a table with Peter and be like, what was it like when your Lord looked at you and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona? Jesus affirms him in this moment. What a wild thing for the son of God to affirm a lowly person. When he says, blessed are you, he's not saying, great job, you did the right thing, I bless you, right? This isn't like a, ma he's not doing a magic trick right here. Jesus is observing reality. 
When he says he's blessed, he's saying, the fact that this is coming out of you, that this confession is hidden in your heart, it is evidence that you are already blessed. God has done something inside of you. And here's what I, want think, what I think God wants us to see right here in this moment, that Jesus says to Peter, hey, flesh and blood could not have revealed this to you. In other words, you could not have figured this out on your own. You could not have imagined who I actually am. No one taught you this. In fact, Jesus says, my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Friend, Jesus is greater than you can imagine. He's greater than you can imagine. Right now, in this moment, if you believe in your soul that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, you need to recognize something. You are a walking, breathing miracle. You couldn't have figured that out. You couldn't, as much as we like to think that we are logical creatures who can put all the pieces together. God uses logic, absolutely, it's important. But to confess that from your soul, that is a miracle of God's spirit at work in you. That's amazing. That's yours. Come on. Jesus is greater than you can imagine. It leads us to ask a couple of important questions. Number one, is your Jesus too safe? Like, do you want a Jesus that you can just understand? That you can, under, you can know and predict every nook and cranny of what he's going to do or who he is? Is your Jesus a product of your intellect? Or will you accept the reality that Scripture is giving us this morning? That he is more than just a man. That he is more than just a teacher. That he is more than just a good guy. According to John chapter 1, in fact, he is somehow both truly and fully God at the same exact moment that he is truly and fully a human being. Think about that for 10 minutes and tell me you don't need a break. That Jesus is gentle with children and he is brash and loud and aggressive with bad guys. You can't put him in a box. We can't figure him out. The real Jesus will defy the categories you, you made for him. And the second question here that all of us need to ask this morning, do you confess what Peter confessed? Not, do you agree with the facts of the statement? Yeah, Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, okay. But do you confess like, man, this is the truth that the, the engine of my soul runs on. That Jesus is the Christ, hope, or Son of the living God. You see, Jesus is either everything he claimed to be or nothing. And here's why. When you start walking around claiming yourself to be equal with God, and that you resurrected from death, it's a zero-sum game. You're either nuts, right? Or you're telling the truth. 
Jesus is either all that he says or nothing. And can I encourage you this morning? He is worth your confession. He is worth your belief. Why? Because when you confess him, he so identifies himself with you that all the privileges and rights that belong to the very king of heaven are shared with you. You didn't even deserve an invite to the party. It didn't get lost in the mail. Nobody asked for your address. But the king himself brought you to the dinner table. Could you imagine something that wonderful? See, I think C.S. Lewis says it well. He says like, man, we usually go about just making mud pies in the sand because we can't even imagine what a vacation, a beach vacation is like. So we're just content with just playing in the mud. You need to see the beauty of Jesus this morning, y'all. You couldn't conceive of what he has given you. I'm telling you, if each of us, including myself, actually believed and had the vision that God has given us of that, we would be losing our minds. You know how our church is gonna reach lost people? We set our eyes on the reality of what God has done. And when we see him for who he is, you better believe we are gonna be having to bolt the doors of this place because we won't be able to fit people it's just going to flow out of us. We're going to tell the story that has changed us. That was point number two. We're getting close. Jesus is more than you can imagine. The last one will be shorter. Number three, Jesus will do greater things than you could hope. Look at verses 18 and 19. They say this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. You see, Jesus brings his disciples, who he's just confessed that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and so Jesus brings them into the inner circle. There is something that you can only see about Christianity from the inside. And I often tell people that as I'm sharing the gospel with lost people, not to manipulate them of like, you got to get in if you really want to understand, but there's a truth to it, right? Until you believe, until you're in, until he's made you his, there are some things you just can't understand. It's a lot like being a dad for me. Goodness, it was like, I... I, uh, I did a lot of YouTube pre-dadding, okay? So it was like, I'm like, I'm watching videos, like how do I be a dad, how do I do this? Okay, I got it. And then I had a kid and everything exploded, right? There's something that you can't get until you're in it. And when you follow him, he lets you into some things that you do not have a category for before he is your Lord. He does far more than Peter deserves and far more than we deserve. Goodness. He gives Peter a new name. When he says, you are Peter, the text here is emphatic. 
meaning that like what Jesus is about to say to Peter, it is a statement of the bedrock of who he is and who he is becoming. He is speaking identity over Peter right here. I had a a coach in high school who's a baseball coach and I wasn't a very good baseball player. Um, But goodness, the first sermon I ever preached was in that guy's church. First Baptist Church of Galatia, Illinois. I was 18 years old. I think there's a recording somewhere. Oof, I bet it's a bad sermon. But goodness, you know what Kendall did? I was on his team. I wasn't a good baseball player, but he came up to me, looked me in the eye, and he said, it is very clear that you are called to this. I just preached a terrible sermon. He looks me in the eye, and he, he spoke something into me that has shaped how I live. He spoke identity. He did the same thing that Jesus is doing right here. Peter's Greek name translated into Aramaic, which Jesus is is speaking right here, it means rock. And Jesus is looking at him and he's saying, hey man, with all your foibles, all your ridiculousness, all of it, I'm going to build my church on you. I'm going to do it. The meaning of this verse, I think, it's, I think it's worth pointing out. This is a highly debated text right here. Like, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter? Some people think Peter is the rock. Some people think Peter's confession, like what he said is the rock. Some people think Jesus himself is the actual rock. I'm going to give you what I think is the most reasonable interpretation right here. I think Peter is the rock, Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think that means. Um, Our Roman Catholic friends take this to mean that Peter is the first pope. But reading the text that way, man, we have no reason to believe that Peter is being given a special authority right here that the other disciples didn't have. We see Peter get corrected other places in Scripture, okay? He's still a mess. He's still a sinner. It seems to me that Jesus is saying to Peter, this is the first actual member of the Christian church because he confessed Jesus as Lord. That's what it means to be part of the church. Friends, if you um, are in process of becoming a member in New City, it's why we ask you if you're a Christian. Tell us the story of coming to know Christ. Why? Because to belong to the church is to confess what Peter confessed. That's what it is. So Peter's the first truly confessing believer and Jesus is gonna build from there. And goodness, look, Jesus tells him his future as part of the people of God. The gates of hell won't prevail against you. Man, does that not just make, that makes me like, I'm just ready when I I read that verse. The gates of hell won't prevail against you. Remember where they're standing They're standing at the mouths of a series of caves called the gates of hell. And Jesus is saying, all darkness, all evil, all brokenness will not stand against my church. Goodness, in our city right now, there is so much darkness, brokenness, evil, murder. And Jesus put our church here to say, not on my watch. When Jesus comes to town, things get better. And you better believe that's part of the reason he brought you to town. Gates, ironically, 
are not offensive weapons. It says the gates of hell won't stand against. Gates are defensive weapons. You know what that means? That means the church of Jesus. It means you are on the attack, not on the defensive. That's what he's saying. You were called to take ground, even in the face of opposition. And then in verse 19, he says some really strange things, confusing things. The, king, uh, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What does all of this mean? It means that the church, God's people, has spiritual authority to say that person is actually saved. That person is confessing the truth of the gospel and they live like they believe that confession. Jesus is setting an important pattern for the church right now, y'all. This should give us a lot of hope. We are in this together. He's saying the way you navigate this is not as individuals, but it's communal. It's together. This all matters for this reason. I'm almost done. Jesus is speaking to the deepest hopes of our friend Peter. He was human. We are hardwired to, to desire mattering. And Jesus says, let's go. You're going to do something that matters forever. You need a new name. You need an identity this morning given by Jesus. And friend, Jesus isn't just doing that for Peter this morning. He wants to do that for you this morning. He wants you to use your gifts, just like Peter and all your dysfunction, to make a difference, to make disciples, to bless others. A couple of questions I just want us to ask here. Number one, are you an insider? Remember, Jesus huddles his closest followers in to the inside. You can be an insider. This morning, Jesus shares his heart with his followers. He wants to share his heart with you this morning. If you are not on the inside, can I invite you to the inside this morning? Become a follower of Jesus this morning. Number two, do you know how God has gifted you to contribute to his mission? Peter goes on when he writes a later letter to say, he's not just a rock, but that we're all being built up as living stones into a dwelling place for God. Meaning the world gets a glimpse of what God is like when you operate in your gifts with others. Do you know how he's gifted you to contribute? If you don't, New City Next Steps is a great place to start. Try to discern what those gifts are. And then number three, this is it. Which one of your deepest hopes do you need to take to Jesus this morning? Man, Jesus spoke right to the heart of our brother Peter. And some of us are coming in the room this morning with a hope that we've been taking everywhere else. We've been taking everywhere else. Band, you guys can go ahead and come on. Jesus would not stand outside of the gates of hell for long. He would enter. And he would take the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. All of God's wrath toward your sin and my sin, he took. And when he was resurrected, the check cleared. And friends, all who confess, you are the Christ. You are my Christ, my Savior, the Son of the living God. You get to become part of his forever family.
And what he is doing to you, friends, he intends to do through you. Who do you say that Jesus is? This question matters. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit right now. You would show us your heart, convict us of sin, lead us into repentance. Show us who you are this morning, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, friends here at New City, we like to respond in three important ways. Number one, we reflect. What truth from the sermon is God just hammering into your soul right now that you need to believe, that you need to receive? What sins do you need to repent of this morning to turn away from? Reflect, ask him. And as you reflect, then we come to the Lord's table table to remember that our Christ, the Son of the living God, did not just live for his people, he died for his people. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you come to this table, two stations in the front and two in the very back, and you remember that that death was for you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you this morning, don't take communion yet, become a Christian. Become a Christian this morning. And then number three, we rehearse. We sing knowing that our Christ has a place for us in the kingdom of God where we're gonna sing and enjoy him forever. Amen. All right, New City, I love you. Respond when you're ready.